When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And it is now time. All dust has settled. All the bull games have been played. All the talking has finished. We got two teams. Got the dogs, got the frogs set to get after it in Los Angeles. And I cannot wait to watch that game. Thank you so much for joining the program. This is the Hard Count. I'm Jody Pacal, Nick Brake, Lift and Heavy. This is your spot for every single thing that you know and love about college football. We like to call ourselves the People Show. If you're new here, welcome. We do this thing year round. College football, 12 month a year sport. Reason why a lot of people are actually starting to rotate out of it. We, however, are not in that category. We're grateful to have you here. We're excited to talk a lot about this beautiful game that we love because they are playing the national championship game here very, very soon. And we're going to break that down. We're going to give you our full preview, a prediction. We're picking a winner. We're going to give you our gambling pick in terms of what we think that spread's going to look like and what we think the final score will look like. It's going to be a lot of fun. So get comfortable, lock in, a lot to unpack in the wild world that is college football. Also, some news breaking, well, I guess semi-breaking because it's kind of already out there, but Jim Harbaugh has been linked to yet another NFL job. Another one, as DJ Khaled says. Carolina Panthers and him have had some communication, it sounds like. We're going to give you our thoughts on that one. And just what does this mean? Do we think Jim Harbaugh is going to go to the NFL? Do we think he should go to the NFL? Give you our full thoughts, opinion analysis here very, very shortly. And we just have to talk about it, y'all. We just have to have this conversation. What's going on at USC? Kind of an up and down year. Up and down is maybe even too strong a verbiage to use. A huge jump from what they did last year. Expectation-wise, though, they were supposed to win that football game yesterday, especially when they were up two scores. Going to unpack that one a little bit and just what the, the climate is right now at USC. Because that was a tough blow to morale. Very, very difficult loss for the good folks in Los Angeles today. Program that's not nursing their wounds at all today. The Penn State Nittany Lions came up all roses yesterday. The Rose Bowl to me is the closest thing college football has to poetry. I mean, that entire setting, Pasadena with the sunset over the second half, wasn't really there yesterday, but you still kind of caught the vibe. Going to talk about what that means for Penn State and just break that one down a little bit, give you a full reaction. The portal, still going crazy, still buzzing. Going to give you the latest from there. There is becoming more and more clear pictures of where some of these guys might end up landing. Also, one of the top players in the transfer portal, Fentrell Cypress, announced where he's going to be going to school. Going to talk about that one. And then at the end of this thing, we're going to y'all. The party, the program. Get your question right now to the live chat. Nick Brake, the keeper of the queue, the heavy lifter extraordinaire is going to get to those. We're going to get those on air. We want to hear from you. So give us your thoughts right now in the live chat because that makes it easier for us then to get to those questions. Listen, we don't have much time to waste. We could probably fill two to three hours. We're not going to do that to y'all because that's just tough to listen to. We're going to break this thing down quick, fast, and in a hurry. Thank you for being along for the ride. Subscribe if you haven't already. The stage is set. The stage is very much so set in Los Angeles. SoFi Stadium this coming Monday. You got the dogs, you got the frogs. Georgia versus TCU. The line opened 
just under two touchdowns favoring the Bulldogs, 13 and a half. Depending on where you look right now, it's starting to drop. I saw 12 and a half at some places. The reality is for Georgia, they're in go mode, man. I mean, this is what they have been chasing since they kicked off in Atlanta against Oregon and took care of business there. Everyone's talking about repeating and can Kirby do it twice and can they go back to back? That's all well and good, but this team specifically feels like they're trying to cement their own legacy. They're after their own kind of hardware because a lot of guys that are contributing on this football team, especially on the defensive side, they weren't starters last year. You have eight to nine different faces that are now in starting roles for that defense. So they're tired of hearing about last year's team. They're tired of hearing about five first-round draft picks and all the, thing that they, all the things that they did. They're trying to go and get themselves their own hardware. And it feels like just a little bit that Georgia got away with one against Ohio State. And those aren't my words. You'd listen to the post-game press conference from Kirby Smart and the post-game interview from Brock Bowers and Stetson Bennett. They're like, yeah, we felt like maybe we played poorly enough to lose that football game. But there is a time to play and there is a time to win. And when it was time to win, Georgia did what champions do and found a way in the Peach Bowl, punched their ticket. Like I said, they're obviously playing in the national title game. But who are they going to meet? The Michigan Wolf? No. Not Michigan, the TCU Horn Frogs, the team that was picked to finish second to last in their own conference. I cannot believe we're doing a breakdown right now on TCU versus Georgia, but I love it so much. It's so college football. Listen, it's them versus the world. I know it, you know it, and I promise you, everybody in Fort Worth, everybody internally in that program, they know it. Okay, so TCU, they're fine with that. They're, they're just great with you thinking it's Georgia by a mile. It's Georgia by 100 points. That's great. Georgia's going to waltz their way to another national title. That's exactly the way that they want it. But I don't know if we are adequately prepared for the Tuesday after this game and the confetti falls. And instead of it being red, let's just say it's purple and black. Let's say that it's Sonny Dykes hoisting that trophy. I don't know if we're ready for that kind of a scenario, but... I just want to make sure it's very clear. It could absolutely happen. We're going to give you our pick a little bit later in this segment, but it could absolutely happen. And if you need more proof, ask Michigan. Because Michigan thought they were going to show up and just bully TCU in the trenches. TCU held their own. It was actually TCU that ripped off the big gains and gashed Michigan time and time and again. Now, the way that we break games down here on this program is we give you hinge points, meaning there is a variable in this game that I think is sitting on a hinge. In whichever way it swings, whichever way that variable falls, it then favors that team to win the football game, a deciding factor, if you will. Got a couple of them for you. We waste no time. The first hinge point for me, early downs for this Georgia offense. The key stat I want you to pay attention to consistently throughout this game is second and blank. What is it on second down for Georgia? If it's second and six or better, meaning obviously second and five, second and four, et cetera, then Georgia can keep TCU's defense off balance. Now, why is that critical? Because Georgia could then control the tempo of this game. They can then decide how they want this thing to go. On second and six, I can run my power game. I can do quick game. I can do play action. You don't know what I'm about to run on second and six. And Georgia, the reason they've been so successful, the reason why they're in this game, they have been very, very good at fighting multiple styles of fights. We've seen it. You got to score 42 to beat Ohio State. We can do it. We got to go and play Kentucky, and it's going to be a defensive battle back and forth. We can do it. But if they can dictate the terms, 
then they get to wear down on TCU and allow those big physical human beings on the offensive line for Georgia to tell you how this game is going to go. And then Max Duggan, as good as he is, will have to watch a lot of this game. So if they can be in second and six or better, that's a huge advantage to Georgia just in terms of the gameplay, in terms of the tempo, in terms of how long that TCU defense then has to be out there, and in terms of what Georgia can call offensively. Now, if they can't, if for whatever reason they're in second and longer, then guess what TCU can do? Joe Gillespie, I think he's one of the best assistant coaches in the entire country. And here's a term you're going to hear a lot throughout this week, so be ready. They're 3-3-5 three, three, defense. That just means three down linemen, three linebackers, five defensive backs. So they're playing with three safeties. If they're able to get Georgia in a second and seven or greater, that is what you would consider typically to be a passing down, meaning you probably have to throw the football on that down. Not always, but it's a little bit more likely to be a pass. Well, then TCU, to rub their hands together, go in their bag, and dial it up. And that was something we saw them be really successful at against Michigan. They got home four times, four sacks against Michigan. That changed the complexion of the football game. That changed the tempo at which Michigan could play. Michigan wasn't able to just line it up and play bully ball because they're sitting in second and nine. Hey, you better get some, some big yards, third and seven. We got to throw the football more than likely. So that's a huge advantage to TCU in terms of how they can then call it for you. So keep an eye on that. That, that. that early down, the first and second down, is going to be enormous for Georgia. Because if not, TCU's coming. And they're very creative in how they do it. It won't just be, a, okay, our guys versus your guys, rush four, rush five, we'll see what happens. It's those three down, and then we have eight other guys that could all come. Doesn't matter where it is. Could be from the safety, could be from the outside linebacker, could be interior. We're probably bringing somebody else from somewhere. You got to figure it out. But if you're in a second and six, Georgia, again, dictates the terms of how that thing goes. If you haven't yet subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel, man, we'd love to have you. National title time. We got you covered, man. I promise you, we got you locked in for it. Nick, Brake and I, spoiler, we're going to be at the game. We're going to be in SoFi Stadium for this game. And I'm so fired up. Going to be an absolute movie of a time. Also, follow me on Instagram and Twitter because that's a great way for us to be able to interact with you at JD Piquel. My DMs stay open like 7-Eleven. We have a lot of good back and forth in there. Also, on my Instagram specifically, we're going to have prop bets for you. Against the suits, we did it all year long, finished 10 games up on the suits during the regular season. Going to give you some prop bets for this game, so make sure you're locked in. Again, at JD Piquel. Second hinge point. On the other side of things, can Georgia get home on Max Duggan or... Is Max Duggan afforded the ability to ad-lib a little bit? And you know what I mean when I say ad-lib. I mean pocket breaks down, miss a tackle on the quarterback. Max Duggan's creating space, eyes downfield. Receivers have some time to work then, right? Receivers have some time to get open. And if you remember watching that Ohio State game against Georgia, a lot of people are saying, well, oh, Georgia's secondary is not very good. They gave up over 500 yards to... LSU and, and this, that, and the other conversation about what they have on the back end personnel-wise. Listen, I'm just going to be real with you. They got some dogs on the back end, and there's no pun intended there. They have some dudes that are going to play on Sunday on a long, long time. All right, they're going to make a lot of money in the NFL in that secondary for Georgia. The reason why they got consistently beat, consistently, maybe, oh, yeah, we'll go consistently. C.J. Stroud had a day. The reason why they got beat as much as they did was because when the play broke down, 
and you're in man coverage and the play extends, extends, extends. It is one thing to cover a freakish athlete for three seconds. It's a whole other thing to do it for five, six, seven seconds. And TCU's receiving core, I don't know if it's Ohio State's caliber, but they're really, really good. I mean, Quentin Johnston is a dog. He's an absolute dude, okay? So you're going to want to make sure that you get home to stop that from happening. And like I said, if you do get home, then TCU's in a more predictable situation. If I'm TCU, I'm in third and 10 a lot of the game, or I'm sitting there second and eight a lot of the game, Georgia probably has a, has a better gauge for what you're going to do. The down and distance dictates to me some variety of what you can call there. Your options are very limited on second and eight and third and 10 than it would be on second and four, whatever it ends up being, or if you're not able to get home, just period. You're not able to create negative plays, period. So you see what I'm saying there? Just to put it simply, if you're TCU, I don't like your odds if the Georgia defense has a better chance at guessing what you're running. You feel me? Like, TCU's really talented, but that Georgia defense is really talented too. So I just think if you can extend plays for your Max Duggan, that could be something that would very much work out in your favor. And if you can't, it could be a long afternoon. Just kind of the way that whole thing works. This may be the most important hinge point for us in this entire game. It's going to sound simplistic. It's going to sound like coach speak, but roll with me here. Gap discipline consistently, I truly believe, will be the determining factor in this football game. Think back to the first play of the Fiesta Bowl for TCU. Michigan rips off a huge game. Donovan Edwards gets downhill, and everybody and their mother was saying, oh boy, all right. Michigan fans are, are, are checking the flights to Los Angeles and how quickly can they get to LAX from Arizona? Is it better to stay the week? And then what happened? TCU ended up having an offensive explosion, first of all, and played a lot better defensively. But I highlight that first play because TCU's linebackers triggered really quickly on that play. They got downhill really quickly to try and stop the run. And that's great if you get there in time, if you get there in the right position to make a play. But if you swing and miss, it's exactly that. You swung and there's nobody behind you to help make up for what you just did. And by structure of that 3-3-5, you ask those safeties to fill really consistently. You ask those linebackers to get downhill really quickly because you only got three down linemen. And so if TCU swings and misses enough times, it's going to be a really, really difficult hole to climb out of if you're TCU. It's just the reality. For Georgia... The reason why TCU was so successful running the football against Michigan, it wasn't because they had just bigger, badder dudes in the trenches. Like if you were to line them up across the board personnel-wise, it probably favors Michigan. But the reason why TCU averaged six and a half yards a carry, misdirection. They had Michigan's eyes going all over the field. They'd have a motion coming across the formation with Tay Barber, and then you got Marcato coming all the way back and running for like 70-plus yards for a touchdown. You hear what I'm saying? It may not have been that exact play, but you understand what I'm saying here. That scheme and that misdirection and the consistent incorrect fits from that Michigan defense, that was ultimately the straw that broke the camel's back. That was something they just continued to make them pay on. And Georgia has really, really elite team speed. But here's the deal. Elite team speed to the wrong place just means you're more out of position than you were before. It means you got to the wrong place quicker. Doesn't help you from the wrong place. So having some discipline in the gaps for both of these programs in the run game, excuse me, 
both these programs in the run game is going to be paramount. And I think could very, very much dictate how deep this game goes. Like if, if TCU wants to swing and miss a couple times early, it is tough to come back on Georgia. Sort of the nature of the deal. Same thing for Georgia, quite honestly. If they get down to TCU, that offense is very explosive. Just something to keep an eye on. So, with that being said, you know we got to do this now. Prediction time. Prediction time. TCU's offense is very explosive. Averaging right around 40 points a game. It's going to be able to, to hang around with Georgia. I just want to make sure I, that we say that. There is a thought out there that Georgia's going to walk in there, just be head and shoulders the better team. And personnel-wise, that could be true. Who am I to say that's not true? But in this game, I think we have seen too many times TCU be consistent offensively to just not give them their due. Like, TCU is legitimately deserving to be in this football game, top to bottom. That is 1,000% the case. I think both sides will need to play extremely clean. Turnover battle is going to be huge in this one and be able to respond to scores. It can't be a situation where TCU scores, then Georgia kind of messes around for a drive, two drives. Meanwhile, TCU starting to rack up the points, being able to respond quickly. TCU scores, Georgia scores. Georgia scores, TCU scores, going back and forth. Because I think both these programs will have prepped at an elite level and have the other's number by the time we get kicked. Okay? At the end of the day, I think the physicality and I think the team speed of Georgia is going to be the difference because the team speed of Georgia is something that is at a different level than what Michigan was playing with. And that's not to knock Michigan. I'm just saying Georgia has recruited five-star class upon five-star class upon five-star class to where if we see them get run on the way that we saw Michigan get run on, that would be a very, very new thing for us. That would be a whole new thing to try and gauge, honestly. So at the end of the day, I think Georgia wins a high-scoring affair. Final score, the dogs get it done in SoFi, 40-31. And think about what that would mean. Georgia goes back-to-back, Kirby Smart, another national title, two in two years, and it would very much feel like they are making a case to be the new standard in college football. It would feel like a new era, a new big dog. Again, no pun intended, across the college football landscape. So we're taking Georgia to win, taking TCU to cover, and I cannot wait to be in the building for this one. Going to be an absolute party, and I promise you, it will be worth every single minute of entertainment. Should be a blast. Golly, I'm fired up, man. It's going to be fun. We're going to do a lot on the social media, too, on Instagram, on Twitter. We'll have a lot there for you that just won't be on YouTube, won't be on the broadcast. Like, if you want to get a firsthand experience of what it's like being at that game, follow me on Twitter and on Instagram, at JD Piquel. Make sure you're locked into this channel. Make sure you're subscribed, man. Because a lot of people, after this game finishes, going to go and take their vacation, going to go hang out and take some time off from content. It's not us. I'm just telling you right now. It's not us. 12-month-a-year deal. 12, yeah, 12-month-a-year deal. We, we uh, covered accordingly. Roll party roll. All right. We got a little bit of electrolytes here. Good deal. JD, my friend, I'm sorry things got a little bright on your light. Kind of no, hey, no, glitched a little bit, no but we're good now. Diamonds, baby. Yeah, we're good now. So hey, uh, it was uh, it was metaphorical for those for those who listen <laughs> to the podcast. The lights got bright. We're watching about the natty. We're talking about the natty. That's just the oh, way yeah, it goes, you're right, man. Hey, we're good. We're just, back. Just the way it goes. baby. Yeah. Love it. Well, 
that transitions perfectly into another situation where the lights are very bright in Arbor, Michigan. And morale has taken a blow from the New Year's Eve loss against TCU. There was very much so a feeling of confidence and expectation to be playing in that national title game. But now we're starting to hear a little bit more about the future of a one Jim Harbaugh. There are reports the Broncos have reached out to him. And before we got on air, the Panthers apparently are in contact. And I'll just tell you this, we were planning to do this segment a little bit later in the show, but like a few minutes before we got on, it's like, hey, we got to put Harbaugh a little bit earlier in the segment to, uh, to make sure we cover it appropriately for y'all. So here's the deal. Reached out to by NFL teams, but the report that goes with that across the board, to my understanding, is that if he gets offered a job in the NFL, not the right job, not the Panthers, not the Broncos, just a job in the NFL to be a head coach, the feeling is he will take it, which is a little bit surprising because he had said before, I you know, want to coach at Michigan. I'm excited to coach at Michigan next year and all that. But it sounds like his heart is in the NFL, obviously was successful in the NFL for a period of time. And when your heart is in something, it's hard to convince your mind otherwise. You know what I'm saying here? Like Jim Harbaugh, it feels like wants to be in the NFL. And if he wants to be in the NFL, it, there's not a ton of reasoning that's going to go into this that's going to convince him to stay. So in some sense, it's hard to blame him because college football, we say it a lot on this program, it is a 12-month-a-year deal. And for those that are inside of those programs, for those that are doing the day-to-day, -day, that are in personnel, whatever it is, it has become exhausting. Like I was fortunate enough to be at a personnel symposium in Nashville before this season got kicked off. A lot of different people from all over the country had a lot of great things to say. A lot of them loved their jobs, but the sentiment was the same from all of them. This is a very new college football than when we first got into it. And the transfer portal and NIL and recruiting is just continuing to ratchet up the intensity to where some people in this industry are just going to go do something else. Like college football is going to lose a lot of really good people. Now, I'm not saying that's Jim Harbaugh's explanation. I'm not saying that has anything to do with why Jim Harbaugh would look elsewhere. But the reality is, it's, a, it, it's what college football is right now. So you would imagine it's not, it's not a, something you could blame him for if that was a part of it. Now, Jim Harbaugh has made Michigan elite. He's got it to a place where it is now a top-tier football program. And I don't really think that's a debate. Look at the last two years, college football playoff appearances, not once, but twice. Won the Big Ten twice, convincingly beat his rival in Ohio State twice, which is much more than you can say for them than when he got there. And so if you want to play a psychologist a little bit here and get inside the mind of Jim Harbaugh, I would have a tough time imagining he feels like he owes Michigan anything. He, he's taken this program to new heights. It is in a better spot now than when he found it. So it's hard to really blame him if he wants to go and get back to the NFL and achieve what I would imagine the ultimate goal would be of winning a Super Bowl. If you haven't yet subscribed, now's the time. We got you covered for everything. I promise you, this story, it sounds like, has more to be told within it. I'm sure we'll get more reports. He's either at one point going to go to the NFL or decide he wants to stay at Michigan. And when that time comes, we got you covered here on the Hard Count on the On3 YouTube channel. So make sure you're subscribed. Thank you in advance. Also, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at JD Pakel. It's a great place for us to have a back and forth interaction. Real good time there. So here's what I would like to happen for Jim Harbaugh. Here is like my take on this whole thing. 
If I'm Jim Harbaugh, I understand that there is a grind involved with college football. Again, I'm not saying that would be any reason why he would leave. I'm just saying I understand that's a, a component of the reality that college football is right now. But I would love to see him stay. And here's why I would love to see him stay. If you're Jim Harbaugh, you have now been pushing this boulder that is the Michigan football program uphill for the last however many years. And it has been difficult. There has been a ton of scrutiny. There has been a ton of naysayers. And you, Jim Harbaugh, have been the consistent denominator and have been the man in the arena. Greatest quote, my favorite quote from Teddy Roosevelt, where he talks about essentially, you're the one doing it. Everyone was on the outside looking in, saying what they want to say. They have no stake in the game. It was you pushing it back up the hill. And now you've gotten it to the top of the hill. You've gotten it to an elite tier college football team. The hard work is over. You've been on the doorstep of a national title, not once, but twice. I would love to see him finish through the line there. would love to be able to see him hoist that national championship trophy. Just, just once. I think that would be something he deserves for the way that he's built this program, for the way that he has endured all the public scrutiny. I would love to see him accomplish that. If he wants to go to the NFL, who am I to say that that's not what he should do? But I do feel very, very strongly that the hardest part of this entire build is over, and I think he's really close to reaping some of the fruits of his labor. Just the way I feel about it. Now, what do we think is ultimately going to happen? My policy on this is when somebody knows more than you, when somebody has more insight to something, you believe them. And the reports that are coming out about if he takes this job or if he gets a job, he would take it, they're just closer to it than me. They, I mean, they're just talking to people that are more wired into this than yours truly. And so it's either we believe them or we're, we're calling this a smokescreen or we're calling them inaccurate. And I don't think it's either of those two things. So I do think if he gets offered a job, I think he'd take it. And I do feel relatively confident in saying that I think he will get offered a job. He's got interest from two different teams. And the way this was phrased, it sounds like at the very least, the Broncos reached out to him. Like he wasn't calling these NFL teams saying, hey, what do you think about that? Was I good enough this year? They're calling him. Saying, hey, how do you feel about the NFL? How do you feel about maybe coaching for the Broncos? How do you feel about maybe coaching for the Panthers? It's, it's not just a one-way interest is what I'm trying to tell you from Jim Harbaugh. I think there's mutual interest. So if this happens, I promise you, on this program and on this channel, we will make sure we have you covered for the hot board and the names that were here and the names that are involved. There's a time for all that. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds there, but I'm just going to tell you some of the early thoughts I have on if he did leave to take a job in the NFL. I think one thing about Michigan that makes them so special right now is the culture and the way they've built that organization. And if I'm at Michigan, if I'm in charge of picking the next head coach, I protect that because that's unique, that's special, that's different than everywhere else. And the one individual who I think has been at the epicenter of that and who's been a constant since 2018 is Sharon Moore, responsible for not one but two, Joe Moore winning uh, offensive lines. And if you want to just keep a good thing going, you don't want to tinker with it too much, you say, hey, we beat Ohio State the last two years, went to the college football playoff the last two years, obviously something is working you make Sharon Moore the next head coach. So that's one thought. I think you'd be just fine doing that. The other part of this, and I think this might be the more popular opinion, when you got that yellow M 
when you have that logo and that branding power, it's a lot of juice, man. That is one of those logos that I compare to USC last year when they were looking for their next head coach, LSU last year when they were looking for their next head coach. It is a top-tier, elite job, okay? So with that being said, I would not rule out anybody. Any, I, I would not say anybody is off the table for Michigan outside of maybe Nick Saban. I think every, maybe Kirby Smart. There's everybody on the table here for Michigan. And so what I have on my notes is keep an eye on a jaw-dropping hire. Like, you know what I mean. You're in the car driving, your phone buzzes, you're at a stoplight, you look at what it is. It's an ESPN alert saying Lincoln Riley just took the USC job and Brian Kelly's head to LSU. Like that kind of jaw-dropping hire. I didn't even know they were looking for a job. I didn't even know that Brian Kelly was interested in LSU. Lincoln Riley made it sound like he wasn't going to LSU. Now he's going to USC. Like all, all that sort of feelings you had when those hires became a reality, I think those are in play for Michigan as well. And I'll just finish with this. If you're Michigan, you don't need to gamble. You don't need to take a chance on the next hot group of five coach that could maybe take Michigan to new heights to get them over the hump. You don't need to do that. You can very convincingly and very competitively go after who you want. So for Michigan, again, Jim Harbaugh is still the head coach. A lot of NFL smoke. We'll keep an eye on it. But if I had to bet money today, I would bet Jim Harbaugh ends up coaching the NFL next season. I would love to be wrong. I don't want to see that. But that's just the way that it feels. Okay? Like I said, we'll keep you in the, in the know. And we will cover that accordingly. And give you our thoughts accordingly. So we appreciate you all in advance for that. All right. If you haven't yet gotten to the live chat, now's the time, y'all. Nick Bray, keeper of the queue. If you have a question... Go ahead, type it right now. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes. All right? So thank you in advance for that. Also, subscribe if you haven't already. We'd love to have y'all, man. A lot of good things going on right now. One place where there are not some good things, not some good feelings at least, USC lost in the Cotton Bowl yesterday to Tulane. Final score was 46-45. It was an absolute movie of a game. Tulane was down. They fought their way back. I want to highlight Tulane really quick before we talk too much about USC. Willie Fritz had an opportunity to take a power five job at Georgia Tech, or so it sounds like. Said, nah, I'm good. I'm going to stay with my team. Michael Pratt was a name that you could see in a lot of different reports, a lot of different hot boards of who could jump in the transfer portal, who could be the next quarterback at insert X power five university. He made it pretty clear he's going to stay at Tulane. And for them to say no, in the day and age of mobility, for coaches and for players to say, you know what, I, I want to stay with this program and I want to accomplish great things and make Tulane great, I have a lot of respect for that. I think that's really special and I think speaks to the culture at Tulane. Because like I said, they went back and forth in this game, man. And when the game is on the line and you got to claw back into it against one of the best offenses in the country in USC, that reveals culture. And I think the culture is white hot right now at Tulane. So that was really impressive. A lot of fun to see. But here's the deal, man. At USC, it's a dark day. It's a dark day. There's a dark cloud hanging over that program right now. Because not once but twice, you were up by 14 points. I'll just say this. Twitter is a dangerous tool. USC comes out hot. 
scoring play of, I believe it was 18 or 17 plays was the, was the first drive, scoring drive of 12 plays after that to go up 14. So immediately I go to Twitter and say, no sign of a soft West Coast team, USC's marching down the field, which at the time was very true. All right, the West Coast soft narrative was, was not in play there. However, I told you the final score, Tulane came roaring back and fought to the very bitter end, and there were some blunders by USC at the end there, and that just ended up being the deal. But optically, this was the style of game that USC just couldn't lose, man. This was the kind of game that really makes you feel sick to your stomach going into winter conditioning and going into spring football. Like This is going to stick with them for a while. If they had lost 7-0, to zero, it'd be like, hey, man, the offense didn't show up. And that's awful, but we don't question the offense. You lost in a shootout. Scored 45 points. If you score 45 points, you should win a lot of football games. Wasn't enough that day. Couldn't have stopped the run. Allowed 305 yards. And the reason that stings because that has been the narrative all year long around USC is are they tough enough in the trenches? On the defensive side of things, those big human beings. Do they have enough of those guys to be elite? We know they're really good. They're one, they're one of the elite programs in college football playing for New Year's Six Bowl. But do they have the sustainability to be really, really elite? Do they have the sustainability to be a New Year's Six winning football team, to be a college football playoff team in the future? Because this was the second time in two games we've seen Utah and now Tulane just impose their will, especially in that second half. And to let up a 14-point lead twice, there's a lot of unhappy folks in, in L.A. today. If you haven't yet subscribed, now's the time. We got you covered for everything college football content, 12 months out of the year. I'm going to keep it brief, but subscribe if you haven't already. Come join the party, all right? Also, follow me on Twitter and on Instagram, at Jody Pakel. Would love to interact with you all there and hear your thoughts, whether it's about USC or something completely different. It would be a lot of fun to chop it up with you all. The last two minutes of this game are difficult to stomach because you had a muffed kickoff that put the football on like USC's own two-yard line, then you had a safety. Two things that you just can't have happen happened at the end of this game for USC. And so truly what I think this loss is for USC right now is a mirror. It just shows you who you are. And I'll tell you one thing, men lie, women lie, y'all mirrors don't lie. I'll tell you exactly the truth. And the truth about USC right now is they have a ton of talent. They are a very good, very talented team. People are going to knock the culture today because that's just kind of like the hot word to use. I don't even think the culture's bad at USC. I mean, heck, they had a lot of big football games that they won because of culture. Game at Oregon State, on the road in Corvallis. You say it's Oregon State. I say, I don't care. You were down. You were on the road. You found a way to win. Culture. Against Notre Dame in a letdown spot. Found a way to win that game. So I don't think the culture is poor. I think the organization has some holes. Because organizationally, when, when you are elite at closing out games, when you are a pro, that's when I think you're an organization. Like the organizations, they are transactional in how they finish out these games. They don't let the little details slip through the cracks. And personnel, I think defensively, has some room to go. We'll talk about that in a minute here. But the organization, I think, is something that needs to be tinkered with. Now, what does that look like? It's not for me to say. A lot of people on USC's campus make a lot of money to make those decisions. The way that it feels is you're probably at least reevaluating your staff. 
I'll just leave it at that. And then also you're probably reevaluating your process when it comes to what you do during the week in your offense or in the off in your off season, rather 305 yards rushing allowed. You got to get stronger, got to get more physical. And so for USC, it sounds funny to say, but to me, the way my mind works, I feel like they are a lot of dessert and no dinner. A lot of things that are appealing to the eye. Win the turnover margin. That's crucial. Score a lot of points. That's great. Really talented players on the perimeter. A lot of things that you're like, man, that's sweet. I like that. That should be good for me. But when you don't have the things that are sustainable, the things that allow you to get further to accomplish your ultimate goals, the things that are going to nourish you and allow your program to, to do the things that they want to do, that's the, the dinner. That's the chicken. That's the steak. That's the veggies. You got to have those, man. And to me, the, the comp to that, the comp to dinner is, like I said, the big human beings in the trenches, on the defensive side of things especially. Got to get better in the middle. And it has to happen now, and it has to happen in the transfer portal. I feel relatively confident they're going to recruit well because USC is a national brand, because I think Lincoln Riley understands a lot about college, about modern college football, and I think he knows, he, he's aware that that has to be a point of emphasis going forward. But the reason why it has to happen now, because you got number 13 on your team. You have one of the best quarterbacks in college football history, in my opinion, just from watching the tape. I think he's generational in his talent. And if you don't get him a strong defensive trenches, I think you waste the potential of what he could be for your team. Because this is what USC can be. They can win, I feel pretty confident in saying, nine to ten games a year, just with the dessert formula alone, just with having flashy offense, really good quarterback, scoring a lot of points. That's going to allow them to win a lot of those games. But if you want to compete for college football playoffs, you want to win the conference, you have to go get those big human beings. And you got one year to do it. Recruit well, yes, but you don't have time to recruit because Caleb Williams, spoiler, he's gone after this year. So, not to be Johnny Raincloud, but USC has a lot of self-assessment to do. Still a phenomenal jump from what they were a year ago. Let me just say that. They have earned the right to recalibrate these expectations. If you had told someone last year after a 5-7 and seven season, hey, you're going to go win 10 games and play for New Year's Six Bowl, is say, phenomenal. We will take that. Thank you very much. Excited to watch the year. But now with Lincoln Riley there, with Caleb Williams there, with all they've done in the portal, they have earned the right to have more pressure to have the bright lights in L.A. So I'm excited to see how they respond. But USC coming up just short to Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. It hurts today. It's going to hurt for the rest of the offseason. But I think ultimately, they adjust accordingly. A lot of good could come from that loss for the Trojans. It hurts today, man. A lot of teams hurting today. A lot of programs hurting today. It's tough. It's very, very tough. But losing is part of the game. It's part of it for those of you on podcasts. Also, we're on podcasts, by the way. On Apple, on Spotify. Get the hard count there. The only bummer is we can't jump in the live chat with you. Have the back and forth. However, if you leave a comment, we will do our best to get to that and include that then in our, in our uh, party section going forward. All right. If you haven't yet, though, get a question. And it's about that time. We are almost at that time. Nick Breakkeeper, the Q, going to get to it here in just a minute. Just give us your questions, and the party will roll on. All right, for the program, the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all, 
the closest thing college football has to poetry went down yesterday. Final score was Penn State 35, Utah 21. And this to me was just a boxing match, especially in the early going. You have two programs that, I apologize, you have two programs that were just going back and forth in the trenches. And I just love so much looking at Twitter and seeing the screenshots of those formations they ran on the goal line. Both Penn State and Utah came out in just some blue-collar kind of football formations. You got uh, Utah out there with, like, three running backs in the I formation. Penn State out there with the full house. Like, it, it was just a thing of beauty. Was so, so fun to watch. Felt like going into the second half, after they felt each other out with the jabs and going back and forth, being tied at 14, it felt like we were headed for a classic kind of second half. But... What the reality was, was Penn State was just kind of stretching and getting ready to just throw some haymakers, man. If you haven't yet subscribed, we'd love to have you all at the party, man. Now's the time. We got y'all covered 12 months out of your college football content every single day. All right, you and me going back and forth. This is a community, and we'd love to have you join it. A channel, yes, we love doing content, but this is really an interactive back and forth community that we're very, very grateful to have you all a part of. Subscribe if you haven't already. Also, follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at J.D. Paquel. A lot coming on those platforms. We don't want you to miss anything on there either. So, second half gets here. And Penn State delivered some haymakers. The best way to describe it for me is they just reset the line of scrimmage. And the best way to exemplify that, the best illustration I have, is Nick Singleton, the phenom freshman, ripping off an 85-plus yard touchdown run. He's going to be special, y'all. Like, I hope that Nick Brake and I get to Happy Valley in the near future for a whiteout or something to watch this kid in person because he is going to be one of the greats when it's all said and done to ever come through State College. And he put on a show yesterday, but that 85-yard touchdown run felt like Penn State just going, bam, right on the jaw. So Utah wobbles a little bit, and my heart broke seeing this happen to Cam Rising going down for the second year in the Rose Bowl. He was unable to finish, unable to finish the game. It was 21-14 at that point, favoring Penn State. And that just took the, the air out of the Utah offense, quite honestly. Um, it just really hampered what they were really able to do offensively. And with that line of scrimmage reset for Penn State, a lot of money on the table. You just saw a lot of, lot of hunnets on the table for Penn State. And all that Sean Clifford did was cash in. Like, he was special yesterday. And I say reset the line of scrimmage. That's awesome. That's very important to winning any football game is dominating in the trenches. But in a game like this against Utah, it was only going to be as effective as they could throw off of it. You hear what I'm saying here? It's only as beneficial running the football if you can get the explosive plays off of that. And Sean Clifford had himself a day. 16 for 22, 279 yards, two touchdowns, 12 yards a completion. That's explosive. That is really, really good. And let's just talk about Sean Clifford here for a second. Seeing him get his swan song yesterday in Pasadena and have his moment where he walked off the field and the crowd erupted, just a sea of white T-shirts erupted, that was really just a beautiful thing. That was one of those moments that you look back on and say, that's why we love college football. That's what's special about it. Because there was so much scrutiny around Sean Clifford, really the entirety of his career. Everyone has an opinion on him. 
whether it's great, whether it's awful. There really doesn't seem to be much in between with the Sean Clifford experience. But the way that he led this football team this year and the way that he showed up in the biggest moment on the biggest stage for this program, for his team, you, you're, you're just so happy for him. He was a great decision maker. He was accurate with the football. And you could tell the entire team fed off of him. And that's what great teams have. And I truly believe that he has left Penn State in a better place than when he found it. And he will forever be loved in Happy Valley, forever loved on this program. Tons of respect for him and what he's done. And was a huge reason why they won that football game yesterday. So, winning the Rose Bowl for Penn State, here's my opinion now. I think this is a recalibration moment for Penn State. Because if you lost that game yesterday, you start to reassess everything internally. You start to reassess expectations. Hey, we lost to Utah. Where do we stack up in the Big Ten? Are we just really solidly in that third place? Is that just kind of where we're going to live? And we just have to understand we can win every game besides Michigan and Ohio State. That might be a real conversation you have internally if you're a Penn State fan. Now with the performance you had yesterday against one of the best teams in the country against Utah, where, like I said, you just threw haymaker after haymaker. I mean, Sean Clifford's dropping deep ball dimes after Nick Singleton breaks off a deep touchdown. Now you recalibrate what the future is for you. Because you got Drew Aller, who's going to be the starting quarterback, I would imagine, next year in Happy Valley. And now I think the expectation goes from we're just a bronze medal team to I think we, we should slash we need to beat Ohio State or Michigan next year. Needs to get at least one of those. Because you've proven you're not an average team nationally. It's not just we play in the Big Ten and we run through everybody but Ohio State and Michigan. No, you're a real deal program in Penn State. And I think you proved it nationally last night. And the expectation, like I said, will be we get one of those two big boys next year, if not both. So the trajectory of Penn State is just facing upward. They are in rocket launch mode. That's what they believe last night was. And it's hard to argue. But Sean Clifford and that team, you tip your hat to them. Unbelievable game, unbelievable atmosphere, and unbelievable scene for Sean Clifford in his last collegiate game. Unbelievable. Why we love college football, man. So, so special. All right, the transfer portal. Bowl game has been buzzing. Been a lot going on on the field. Make no mistake, though. This portal is still kicking. Really, even a few minutes before we even got on air, we were adding to this list. So I'm just going to give you the latest on the transfer portal. A couple of guys that are still uncommitted, that are available. I'll tell you what we're hearing right now. First and foremost, Sam Hartman. According to Pete Thamel via College Game Day yesterday, Notre Dame is still the expected pick. I put in quotes, pick. That's what Pete Thamel, what Pete Thamel said. Uh, that would be enormous for Notre Dame. You know my thoughts on this. We've said it before on here. I think that would be the biggest get of the Marcus Freeman era, and it would just add more versatility to what they can be as a program because they won eight games this year throwing 200 yards a game. You add Sam Hartman to the mix, and I fully believe that Notre Dame has every potential to be a New Year's Six football team. The playoff and all that, we'll talk about that as we get more into the season if he does go there and does have success. But just know, adding Sam Hartman changes the game for them. I'll also say this, you add Sam Hartman, you're able to then market much better to skilled players in the portal. If he has success, you're able to spin that and market that to transfers, or excuse me, not transfers, high school recruiting quarterbacks. 
and say, you want to go be a high NFL draft pick? You want to go throw the ball around the yard? Sam Hartman did it. You can too. So that's a very big deal. Again, expected by the end of the week is what the, the buzz is, but we'll make sure we uh, keep you updated to the best of our ability with Sam Hartman potentially picking Notre Dame. If you haven't yet subscribed, we got you. This is your place, man. The People Show. We say it all the time. It is everything that you know and that you love about college football. It's a 12-month-a-year sport. This show very much so operates in that fashion. There's no breaks, no vacations. We got you 12 months out of the year. Also, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JD Pakel. We can have some interaction there, a lot of back and forth. It's a good deal. Would love to hear from y'all and would love to have some dialogue there. It's a great medium for us to do more of what you want then into this show. Another quarterback that is still available, Brennan Armstrong from Virginia. A lot of the buzz right now is around NC State because he would then become reunited with his offensive coordinator, Rob Anai. And that would be, I think, the most likely landing spot. It sounds because when you're a quarterback, especially in Brennan Armstrong's position, being comfortable, being in a system that you know that you can succeed in, I think that's paramount. Because make no mistake, Brennan Armstrong, he wants to win some football games, and I think this would make NC State a very competitive team in the ACC. I think them and Clemson then become your one and two. Maybe North Carolina becomes two or three. Another conversation, but you hear what I'm saying. NC State is instantly better. But for Brennan Armstrong, he is trying to help his draft stock. He wants to make money and play a long time in the NFL. And being in a system where he's comfortable and familiar and can be successful, NC State makes a, lot of, makes a lot of sense because of that previous relationship and previous success with his offensive coordinator that is now at NC State. Now, Pete Thamel also said that Auburn and Oklahoma State are in the mix. Oklahoma State, to me, makes more sense because it's a little bit more of a built-out program. Hugh Freeze and Auburn, a lot of transition, figured it out. Not saying it can't work. I'm just saying if draft stock is the hope, NC State makes more sense. Oklahoma State than in that two spot for me. Spencer Sanders. The buzz around him, both Auburn and Ole Miss are being linked to the previous Oklahoma State quarterback. Just like I said with Auburn, to me, it's a high-risk, high-reward scenario for the quarterback because Hugh Freeze is a quarterback whisperer. He's done really great things with quarterbacks in the past. Just look at Malik Willis making him a draft pick. But the reality is you don't know what that roster is going to look like, especially after spring football. Maybe they'll go in the portal and they'll revamp it. I think they have a really good chance to do that. But you're sort of gambling there. You're gambling on what they will be as a quarterback. And as a quarterback, to some respect, you're only as good as what's built out around you. So Hugh Freeze is the appealing piece. But in the SEC, you better have all 11 on the offensive side ready to roll. SEC exposure could also help him. But that's also something that's available to him at Ole Miss. And Ole Miss, to me, the downside is you got to go in, you got to compete with Jackson Dart, and you got to prove that you're the guy for the job. And Jackson Dart already started this year, so maybe it's an uphill battle. But here's my thought when it comes to Spencer Sanders and Ole Miss. Ole Miss ran the football about as much as anybody last year. You look at the percentage of run plays called for Ole Miss in terms of like the stat sheet and how it ranks. You got the academies and you got Ole Miss. So they're going to pound the rock. And Spencer Sanders, one of his best attributes, in my opinion, is his athleticism and what he does when he decides to tuck it in run. 
Jackson Dart's real good thrower of the football. In my opinion, I think he's better than what he showed this year. But the way this system operates, it would be something Spencer Sanders is familiar with and it would accentuate his athletic ability. So keep an eye on that. Ole Miss would be the preferred spot that I think he should go to, but Ole Miss and Auburn are both in the mix for him. Obviously, Spencer Sanders adds experience. He adds athleticism, like we just said. He helps you as a program. So Ole Miss and Auburn are both battling for the former Oklahoma State signal caller, or so it sounds. Dante Cephas, Kent State wide receiver. All signs, according to Pete Thamel, again, this is per Pete Thamel yesterday on College Game Day, is pointing towards Pitt. Now, the RPM for us is pointing towards Penn State. Keep in mind, that is something that is very much so dependent on other people's picks. And if there's only one pick in, then it would lean pretty hard that way. But he's a Pittsburgh native. Either one of these schools, he immediately makes better. Very productive, immediate contributor. He had 82 catches, 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns in 2021. Was a little bit less productive than that this season. But Dante Cephas is a guy, like I said, immediately at the wide receiver room, you have a wide receiver one caliber player. Makes your offense better and would help both of those quarterbacks transitioning forward. Um, for Penn State especially, if Drew Aller becomes the guy, to have a guy as proven as Dante Cephas on the outside, that could be a very nice combo. So it's Pitt and Penn State for the Pittsburgh native, but he is it sounds like down to those two schools. Keep an eye on that. Anthony Lucas, before we got on air, Texas A&M defensive lineman said he's going to be in the portal. Was a four-star out of high school. And looking at his recruitment out of high school, he took the most visits to Alabama. Took a couple unofficial visits to, the, to uh, Alabama to see Nick Saban. And the reason why I bring this up is for a guy who was just in high school, what, a year and a half ago, I think it's fair to assume that the hometown, so the Arizona schools, and where he was interested out of high school make a lot of sense. Alabama, to me, would be the leader in the clubhouse. If you're looking at it that way, uh, Notre Dame was also on the table when he made his decision. Keep an eye on that. He's a guy who, like I said, is extremely talented. A lot of other services were very high on, as well as us here at On3. We had him at a four-star. Uh, he's likely someone that you plug and play day one has an, an uh, elite frame for what he could be at this level and someone who I think just needs to develop a little bit more, or so it sounds like. But the reality is the upside with him is tremendous. I mean, he is a guy that could really blossom into a really, really special player for you. But Anthony Lucas deciding he is going to be in the transfer portal here in the near future. Last one for you, got a commitment. Fentrell Cypress is going to Florida State. He was all ACC a season ago for Virginia. And the reality for Florida State is they are just going to keep the standard high for what they have in the secondary. They were top 10 in the country last year in terms of yards allowed passing per a game, right around 170. Fentrell Cypress, I would expect no drop-off due to his contributions. He's locked down on that side of the field. He was one of the top players in the transfer portal from our player portal rankings here at On3. He is a dude. He is a day one player. He is going to get drafted in the NFL when his time is done in Tallahassee. Okay, a very, very big dog player for them, an alpha of sorts. And this is a big gift, Florida State. But reading between the lines here, Florida State continues to go to work in the portal. Just like going to Publix, going down whatever aisle, whatever position group they need and saying, you want to come play for us? Great. Okay, jump on board. Let's make some magic. Like, 
Florida State, to me, is becoming more and more so a destination for some of these top guys. Remember, Jaheim Bell, he's going to Florida State. Fentrell Cypress, he's going to Florida State. Guys that could play in a lot of other programs are picking Mike Norvell and Tallahassee. And I'm just saying this. They're a program that I think is very much so poised to take the next step. They played some of their best football at the end of the year. I think they're heading in the right direction. But Fentrell Cypress, for them, is going to be a weapon on the defensive side of things and should keep that secondary very, very solid in Tallahassee. So Sam Hartman expected to be with the Fighting Irish very, very soon. Brennan Armstrong, NC State getting the most buzz, but Auburn and Oklahoma State also getting a little bit of noise as well. Spencer Sanders, Ole Miss and Auburn, sound like they're in the running for him. You got Dante Cephas between Pitt and Penn State, according to what we're hearing. And then Anthony Lucas jumped in the portal. I think Alabama makes a ton of sense. He's from the state of Arizona. Maybe ASU or Arizona make a play at him. Keep an eye on that. Then Fentrell Cypress committed to the Florida State Seminoles. The portal is going to keep on buzzing. Make sure you're locked right here for everything transfer portal, everything recruiting, everything college football 12 months out of the year. We got you covered here on the Hard Count on the On3 YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed. I'm telling you, man, the portal shows no mercy. It don't care what you have under the hood. It don't care what you did last year. It don't care what you did on the field. It will take, it will take, it will take, and then it'll give some. All right, and Florida State's in a good position to land a lot of those guys. All right. A little bit more electrolytes. And the party keeps rolling. Thank you so much to everyone watching the program right now. The best thing that we do right now, you know what it is if you have been with us before. If you're new here, welcome to the party, man. Jump in the live chat. Hit us with a question. Nick Brake, the keeper of the queue, the heavy lifter extraordinaire, joining the program right now. Nick Brake, what is good, my guy? What is going on in the live chat right now? Um, well, what's going on is a lot of stuff. People okay. are here. People are showing out. Um, I'm looking around, trying to get a good question. Um, I've got a good one here um, from Ahmed. says, big TCU fan, it looks like. Who's better than Quentin Johnson and Miller, Max Dugan, or Max Duggan combined? Wants to know. I mean, does yeah. that do you understand the question, I JD? Think, I think I hear the question there. I think the thought is, hey, we have so much at the skill position. Who's running with us? Now, Kendra Miller is, according to Sonny Dykes, questionable for this game. I have the feeling he's going to play just because of the sheer fact it's the national championship game. If you have anything to give, you go. Um, Quentin Johnson is going to make a lot of money in the NFL. I would just say this. Those guys, all three of them, super talented. With that being said, I think Ohio State has just as much talent. The only guy that I think maybe you lean towards giving the edge to of those three in the running back position will be Kendra Miller. I take C.J. Stroud over Max Duggan. No disrespect to Max Duggan. I take Marvin Harrison Jr. over Quentin Johnston. No disrespect to his game either. Now, Kendra Miller, like I said, is probably the guy I would take out of that bunch. But if the argument for TCU is, hey, we just got better personnel on the skill, you're going to be surprised by that, I don't think that's the way to go. For TCU to win that football game, Nick, I think it will have to be misdirection. I think it will have to be eye candy and just getting Georgia to fit the gaps awkwardly like they got Michigan to do. Because if, if they can, it's going to be a good day in, in Fort Worth. If not, 
think Georgia's going to really have uh, a good time on that Monday night, if you catch my drift. Great yep. question, though, man. Absolutely. Yeah, and it may be sort of a, not a, as much of a question, but a, a phrase with a question mark at the end. But nevertheless, uh, thank you for asking or telling. You know, either one. I love um, it, man. I love it. What else we got, Big Nick? We got anything else in the, in got the a couple. popping off? Yeah, you could with a consecutive questions about Clemson. Different people ask. This one's from Ham Solo. Whether it be about Tennessee or Clemson, what's the biggest takeaway you have from the Orange Bowl, J.D.? Ooh, that's a great question. I think my biggest takeaway is Joe Milton can spin it, man. Like, a lot of us going into that game thought, okay, you have to really help Joe Milton out. They're probably not going to throw the ball as much. They're probably going to make it more of a ground and pound and throw the ball off of that. Joe Milton had, like, 28 attempts. They did not shelter him at all in that football game. And so my biggest takeaway is Tennessee has a great chance to get right back to New Year's Six Bowl. There is no step back they have to account for with Joe Milton. Now, the key variable there is Joe Milton, right? Like, he has to prove that he is consistently who he was in the Orange Bowl. Because if you get Orange Bowl Joe Milton for 12 games, it's going to be a good time in Knoxville. So we're going to see more and more of him as we go on throughout the rest of spring ball. And I'm sure fall camp will have a lot of intel. But I, I was very, very surprisingly impressed with how polished Joe Milton was and how accurate he was. Everyone knew he could throw the football a quarter mile. Everyone knew he was Uncle Rico throwing the football over that there mountains, but his accuracy, his decision-making, to me, was the showstopper in the Orange Bowl. I love it, though. Okay. I love it, man. We, we got any more uh, just statements? There don't have to be questions. We just got just opinions we can respond to here. I love that we're getting uh, yeah. some Tennessee love, some TCU love. Um, well, a lot of talks about the game here. Yep. Um, you know, we've got people talking about, you know, it's Georgia's offense uh good enough uh, we've got a, f- a fan over here saying no obviously they're good enough they're averaging almost 40 points a game yeah um talking just they're right in the bread and butter about this game and they're as excited yeah. as you are jd no, and it's as excited fun, as i am man. it's gonna be fun i think one thing to add to that mm-hmm. in terms of injuries kendra miller for tcu like i just said he's questionable read today on dogs hq the georgia on three site go and get a membership there if you haven't yet i think it's still a dollar for a year which feels like theft i promise you it's 100 percent legal darnell washington is i'm I'm sort of paraphrasing here they're gonna see about him sounds like he's questionable slash 50 50 they're gonna see about him the reason why that's so important regardless of how much darnell washington touches the ball in the past game just him being on the field means you have to honor 12 personnel you got brock bowers you got darnell washington that's a whole lot of mass and you have to match that mass defensively because if they're in 12 personnel and they want to run the football and you just have too many dbs or too many speed guys on the field they're going to run right over you they're going to physically impose their will and push you into the ground in sofi stadium so what that means is, okay, like I said, you got to match mass with mass. So you put linebackers on the field, right? You put some more physical, some more heavy guys out there to try and match up in the run game. Well, when they go play action, that linebacker ain't running with Brock Bowers, y'all. That, that linebacker isn't winning a jump ball with Darnell Washington. So being able to match up effectively and efficiently and consistently will be enormous. But even more so, can Darnell Washington be healthy? Because the reality is there's not another one of him that they got just walking around at Georgia. Not another one of him that just walks around anywhere, quite frankly. He's an absolute freak show of a human being Mm -hmm. and a very special player. And you hope, you hope, you hope, you hit your knees and pray that he is able to go in SoFi Stadium 
when it all becomes time to play. Absolutely. Monday. So that's so that's kind of my, my soapbox there, Nick. But I know that okay. wasn't really the uh, wasn't really a question, just something no. I had, something we had to get out there. What, yeah, what? no, that, that's what everyone wants to talk about. But uh, nevertheless, there are a couple questions. We have two more um, that are actually not about the national championship. So Holt is asking Texas A and M or Oklahoma who has a better year in twenty twenty three. Ooh, Texas A and M or Oklahoma. This might even be a segment we have to do at some point, Nick. Um, so here's the deal: A and M and Oklahoma both by a lot of people's standards underachieved. Now, here's the difference. Oklahoma was in year one of having a head coach. Texas A&M is a few years into this deal with Jimbo Fisher. So my concern with A&M is, hey, I've been watching this program for a little bit, and we have excused and excused and excused, and you didn't make a bowl game this year. Oklahoma, it's year one. It's tough to draw a ton from year one. I think what it is is not what it's going to be going forward. A&M is the one that concerns me because next year, based on what they did on the recruiting trail, was supposed to be the pop year. was supposed to be the year where they compete for a college football playoff or where they have a chance to win the SEC. Like All those lofty aspirations, those were scheduled for next year. Some people wanted to crown them this year. I didn't see that. I thought it was eight and four. Turns out I was three games wrong. But for AM, that's really the, the concern for me. In terms of next year, I like where Oklahoma sits. If you want to just even keep it as simple as this, it is probably easier to make some moves in the Big 12 than it is in the SEC. You don't believe me? Look at TCU. They missed a bowl game last year, playing for the college football playoff national title this year. So could AM do it? Absolutely. I think Connor Wegman is a guy. I say do it in terms of uh, have a much better year this year than they did last year. But, yeah, if, if, I'm, if I'm betting money, I'm leaning on the win total for Oklahoma as opposed to what it would be for A&M next year. Been wrong before, but that's the way I feel about it, Nick. Just tough, man. I think A&M is, is becoming increasingly uncomfortable. It's going to be a, a difficult offseason for the good folks in College Station. Yep. Um, last question. You Let's good with do that, it, man. JD? Last question. We appreciate y'all jumping in the chat. Absolutely. As always, um, a lot of really cool Really cool comments. This last one, though, is from CEO Avenger. If Jim Harbaugh leaves to the NFL, how likely will he, will he be to have the same success that he had at San Francisco? JD, I'm not, I know you're not a huge NFL fan, sure, yeah. uh, but you get the game. What do you think? Yeah, man, I'm with it. So if you watch Michigan right now, just offensively, the way they run their program, they kind of resemble an NFL team. They, they, they do a lot of things that you would see from an NFL program. So I think with his ties to the NFL, it won't be difficult for him to assemble a good staff, which will be the first thing we watch. We're going to see who he gets on his staff. That's the first part of this, if he does go to the NFL. But I really do feel like he's a guy that is, is cut out to succeed at both NFL and college levels, which is surprising to say, but he's proven it. He's coached in a Super Bowl, and he's coached in multiple college football playoff games. So... Has he won a Super Bowl? No. Has he won a national title? No. But you hear what I'm saying here. Getting there is puts you in the, what, top 5% of the sport, top 5% of the profession. Um, so to answer the question, I think he will be very successful. I think it may take a second and a half to get wherever he goes adequately prepared. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I lean more towards him being successful than I would him having issues at the NFL level over time, just the way that I see it. Well, folks, we appreciate you locking in with us, man. This is an absolute blast. 
can't believe can't believe it's already the national title game can't believe we could do this for a job can't believe that we have been going as long as we have here i mean this is just unbelievable and so so grateful for y'all making this a community making this something that we can have back and forth with because like i said we have the you know the mic and the camera and all that a lot of people have that okay we're not unique in that way what makes this special what makes this unique is y'all interacting and y'all building this community to what it is right now and i promise you the best is yet to come this is only the beginning but y'all being a part of this program is something that we do not take for granted and we are very very grateful for and appreciative of y'all for so we're going to be back on air on thursday tell a friend be a friend one central two eastern same drill man the drills don't change the drill do not change do not be tired of being consistent we'll hold up our end over here and uh looking forward to seeing y'all then if you haven't yet subscribed now at the time also follow me on twitter and on instagram at jd Pakel if you have more to say after we got our fair here but again we love you we appreciate you we're gonna keep the party rolling and we will see y'all next time